Hello and welcome to the New Relic Modern Software Podcast, the show where New Relic experts and special guests discuss the top trends and topics in the world of software applications, DevOps, cloud computing, observability, and today, Java. I'm your host, Frederick Paul, Editor-in-Chief of New Relic. In this episode of the Modern Software Podcast, my host, New Relic Senior Program Manager Tori Wheelt, who spent five years as a Java Community Manager at Oracle, and I welcome Java Guru Ben Evans. Ben has recently joined New Relic's European Development Center in sunny Barcelona, Spain. Ben is a Java champion, three-time Java One Rockstar speaker. He's author of The Well-Grounded Java Developer, the new edition of Java in a Nutshell, and Optimizing Java. He spent six years as a member of the Java Community Process Executive Committee, a.k.a. the JCPEC, helping to find standards for the Java ecosystem. And he's got a lot to say about the current state of Java, New Relic's support of Java and open source, and optimization of Java in a microservices world, and what to expect going forward. Before we start delving deep into what most people consider the world's most popular programming language, though, let's do some super fast housekeeping. First, you can find edited transcripts of recent episodes of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on the New Relic blog, blog.newrelic.com. And that's also where to look for associated links, images, and other stuff related to the podcast. Second, for listeners who may not be familiar with us, I want to say a quick word about New Relic. New Relic is the industry's largest and most comprehensive cloud-based instrumentation platform built to help customers create more perfect software. The world's best software and DevOps teams rely on New Relic to move faster, make better decisions, and create best-in-class digital experiences. Want to learn why more than 50% of the Fortune 100 trust New Relic to make the world's software run? Go to my favorite site on the internet, newrelic.com. Well, hey there, Ben. It's a delight to work with you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tori. It's nice to be here, and it's, uh, it's great to be, to be hanging out with you again. So yeah, I was the uh, community manager for the Java community for Oracle for five years. So there's been some changes in the Java landscape and Oracle's made some recent announcements. So at a high level, can you just tell us what those changes are? So the biggest change really is that, that people, most enterprises are, are used to going to Oracle and you know downloading their Java binaries directly from Oracle. Um, and so people might have got the, the idea that Java is open source. And so therefore, what they were downloading from Oracle were, were open source binaries. Uh, and that's not actually the case. Every time you, you'd go to Oracle and, and download those binaries, you're actually agreeing to a proprietary software license. And because of, of, of that, it's actually been Oracle's choice um, how long they wanted to provide support for those binaries and to provide Java in that way for. They have decided to stop providing free binaries for Java 8 and for Java 11. And obviously, most of the industry is, is still on Java 8. So this has come as a, a bit of a surprise and I, I guess a bit of a shock to, to a lot of people. So, so what, what's happening now is if you are a, a paying customer of Oracle, you pay for Java support, you can continue to get binaries from Oracle. If you aren't a paying customer and you don't wish to become one, you need to think about how you're going to approach the question of how you're going to have a supported Java runtime that your applications depend upon going forwards. Now, Oracle's attitude is if you want to continue using Java, what you should do if you don't want to pay is to just come to the latest version of Java each time. They have introduced this kind of much faster, more dynamic release schedule whereby a new major version of Java comes out every six months. 
rather than the the kind of two or three years that we have been been seeing up till now. If you if you cast your mind back, there was a big big gap between Java six and Java seven coming out, and then it was another three years before Java eight came out after Java seven, and then it was another three years before Java nine came out. And now we're suddenly in this world where everything's happening fast, fast, fast. You know, there's a release of Java every six months. So six months after Java nine, Java ten. Six months after Java ten, eleven. And we had twelve, which came out in March. Oracle stance that you know that you should just keep upgrading, and every six months, hey, don't worry about it. There's a new Java version out. Just upgrade your applications to use the new version. <laughs> it is not really something that I think many enterprises, in my experience, are going to be ever so keen on. Right, they're not ready to handle that at all, are they? For a lot of well, reasons, let, let, historical and other. Let's go into that for a second. Why is that something that they wouldn't want to do? And are there any advantages in having it updated so often? Well, I think, but broadly, the, most enterprises don't want to do that because it, it's kind of make work. They want to have stable platforms and they want to, to be able to just work on new features and fixes for their own actual real applications. They don't want to be housekeeping every six months. They want to just know that the application is going to continue to run without any instability in the platform. Most software teams have got a lot on their mind. They want software partners who are going to help them and be, be receptive to their needs and not try to force additional work on them, which is, is kind of what this feels like. Uh, the advantage, though, being a, a modern shop that we are, you can get features out much more quickly. So if there's something the Java community really wants, instead of waiting four or five years to get it, potentially they could get it much faster. That's absolutely right. And that's great for those shops which are startups and who do want to react more quickly and who have development teams that are super eager to get the new features. But for the enterprises, the people who are concerned with stability, maybe they have a tightly regulated industry that they're in, then actually there needs to be a possibility of not having to take this faster upgrade cycle. That leads us to the discussion of what are being called long-term support releases. Java 11 was the first release to be designated as a long-term support release. And Oracle are targeting to produce these every three years. So the next long-term support release will be uh, will be Java 17. Wow, Again, 17. a huge, staggeringly big number, right? 17. Like, where, did that, where did that come from? Yeah. So, but, but then, of course, the vast majority of Java applications are, are still running on Java 8. Oracle have kind of retrospectively grandfathered in Java 8 to be a long-term support release as well. But something else has happened, which is that Oracle have now stopped contributing to the open source editions of Java. So the OpenJDK for Java 8 and for Java 11 is actually the reference implementation, and it's actually the place where all Oracle releases have always started from, from Java 7 onwards. That has been the basis of, of Oracle's product, and they have now stopped contributing to it and handed over leadership of the open project to another company. So in fact, OpenJDK 8 and 11 are now being run by Red Hat. So that's a huge shift and upheaval in the Java world. But what it means is that now, if you want to get a free binary of Java 8, you can get one from Red Hat because they're continuing to produce open source binaries now, not the proprietary Java binaries that you've traditionally downloaded from oracle.com. But now on the OpenJDK sites, you can get a binary which is equivalent to the, the Java rate you would have downloaded from Oracle, but it is now a free and open source licensed uh, binary. And of course, that means there's nothing to pay. So if you're a, an enterprise that wants the stability of long-term stable and long-term supported releases, but you also don't necessarily want to pay for a, a support contract, you can now have the best of both worlds. The only kind of cost of entry is you have to migrate your systems from using the Oracle binaries, which Oracle are now no longer supporting, unless you're a paying customer, onto this new open source OpenJDK binary. Okay, so not doing anything is not an option for people listening, right? 
do nothing is very much not an option, especially if you want to stay protected and up to date with your security patches, because there are no more security updates for Java 8 or, or 11 are coming from Oracle unless you pay money for them. So I think anyone who is concerned about the, the, their applications and wants to ensure that they're patched up to date really has to make sure that they, they do make this transition to OpenJDK. Now, just so I understand, on the OpenJDK side, if there's similar vulnerabilities, Red Hat will support patches for them? Uh, Red Hat and a, a number of other um, members of the, the OpenJDK community, we're talking about companies like IBM, Amazon, Microsoft, some smaller JDK vendors like Azul Systems, who've long been a, a minor player in the space. We also see some patches from companies like SAP and Alibaba from China. So for, for customers, of course, and especially customers of New Relic, what this means is you have customer choice. Perhaps you already have an existing relationship with IBM, say, or with Red Hat, or perhaps you're a big AWS customer. Well, you can choose which OpenJDK binary that you want to use. And, and whatever choice you make, providing it's from a major vendor and it's a certified binary, which from the major vendors they all will be, then at New Relic, we will support you. We, you know, it, It's not up to us to tell you how to run your environments. You choose what's right for your applications and, and we've got your back. So let's talk for a moment about how New Relic uh, is involved in all this. What, what is our support for Java and the Java community? Well, well first of all, if you are an Oracle um, JDK user and a, a paid customer of Oracle, um, that's fantastic. You know, of course, we'll support you. If you've chosen that you want to stay on Java 8 and transition to an open JDK binary, then we'll support you there too. If, if it's going to be ICT from Red Hat, we'll support that. If it's going to be Adopt OpenJDK, which is the community-led open source project, which is, uh, has got a lot, of, uh, a lot of players coming together underneath it, great. That, that's one of the, the main JDKs that we're going to be using internally at New Relic. If you're going to use Amazon's Coretto project, that, that again, is, uh, is primarily for AWS and Amazon's own versions of Linux. But if that's what you have, we will support that. Whatever major vendor you choose and whatever is right for your applications, New Relic will support it. So how is New Relic going to be more involved in the Java community? The watershed that we've just gone through where Oracle are, are starting to step back and other players are becoming more involved, it presents a great opportunity for us here at New Relic to get more involved in the community. Obviously, our interests are in monitoring and in performance analysis because that's what we provide for our customers. But also, a lot of our own services are written in Java and other JVM languages. So we have a very vested interest in, in the health and the longevity of the Java platform. So we've actually signed the paperwork that we need to, to formally join the OpenJDK effort. That means that New Relic engineers will be able to actually contribute code and other work towards OpenJDK and related projects. First of all, I think it demonstrates long-term commitment to Java and the Java community. It also means that we are in a position to help our customers get to the bottom of particularly thorny problems. There are some, some new technologies which are present and open sourced in Java 11 which the community feels will be beneficial to Java 8 as well. And those those technologies, because they're, they're only open sourced on Java 11 at the moment, they need to be backported to be supported on Java 8. And New Relic are, are going to be involved in some of the very early testing of those backports. So we run them internally. We'll be able to test them out and see whether there is any impact on them being backported into 8 to ensure that there are no performance regressions uh, or other side effects from having those technologies being brought back into Java 8. That's, you know, that's, that's work that we're doing essentially as a, as a gift to, to the Java community, uh, because we think those technologies will be very beneficial to our customers. That's great. I'm delighted to hear that. Me too. So 
Let's talk a little bit about Java and optimization. You've written a book about it, and I know you were heavily involved in making Java run fast. So I've just got to play devil's advocate. Is Java still relevant in a microservices world? When we talk about microservices, there's really two things that kind of come together to make up what, what people think of as microservices. First of all is the the size and the complexity of the, the application. Um, and the other of which is the application startup time and the the lifetime that a particular process or a particular handler would actually live for. Microservices as compared to traditional architectures, both both are you know smaller in scope for each individual service, and the complexity comes by the composition or aggregation of a, a large number of services. Um, but they're also dynamic. They're, they're supposed to be, be things which can scale up really quickly because they start up really fast because they're so simple. So how is Java still relevant or why might people think that Java wasn't relevant in that world? Well, traditionally, Java processes start up and they JVM starts up and it starts to interpret bytecode. But it takes a while for a Java application to reach a steady state because, of course, everything has to warm up. In particular, the JIT compiler has to, to have processed enough transactions and seen enough messages that it can actually figure out what parts of the, of the program are really important so that it can then compile those to super fast, optimized machine code. While Java has extremely good, best-in-class peak performance, the time taken to reach that peak performance and get to steady state can be of, of the order of half a minute, perhaps even a couple of minutes. And But for a microservices world, that doesn't sound so appealing. So the challenges for Java really have been twofold. Can we reduce that sort of ramp up and warm up period somehow? And secondly, can we deal with the, the size of the Java processes? There's no getting away from the fact that Java 8 runtimes come with a certain amount of baggage. The RT.jar, the, the basic Java runtime, is 150 megabytes by itself. That's a different order of magnitude to writing some tiny Python program, which is going to run in an AWS Lambda. That wouldn't be measured in, in, in megabytes. It might, might be like a megabyte, but certainly not 150. Mm -hmm. The good news is that actually, especially with Java 11, we made some really serious progress towards uh, having those, those be almost completely removed as issues. And Java 11 really does move the dial to a place where Java really is competitive for microservice development. For example, with the, the startup and, and compilation times, there's new JIT compiling and ahead of time compilation options, which you can use for Java 11 to produce very small binaries, which are almost um, native compiled. So much more like a Go binary there, which you can produce now with Java 11. You can also reduce the size of the footprint because instead of having a, a monolithic Java runtime, which pulls in Swing and RMI and all of those fully featured Java technologies that enterprises use, if you, if you don't use that, then why load it up in the first place? So the modularity aspect of Java 11 now means that you can start up a Java runtime in a, a much reduced amount of space. And of course, if there's less stuff to load, it's going to load much faster. As Java 11 starts to permeate more into the, the mainstream of applications, we're going to see some interesting and novel deployments. And I think that the things that people love about Java, the richness of the programming environment, the fact that it, it does have such great developer tooling, such a, a rich wealth of patterns and experience, and of course, the fact that for enterprises, it's super easy to hire Java developers. I think all of those strengths are going to continue to play well in the microservices world. That's great. So I'm a Java developer, I say my uh, app is too slow. Where do you start to make things go faster? Now, you just said your app is too slow. Okay, well, well, what does that mean? We need to ask a question that we can actually measure. The first step is always to understand the problem 
and to find data and find metrics which will enable us to really confirm that the problem that we think is there is actually there. This is where tools like those provided by Neuralic are going to be your friend because it does give you mm-hmm. the ability to see that data. We can't tell you what's wrong or what's right for your domain because we're not the experts in your domain. You are. But what we can do is to give you the toolings and the visualizations to see the data. And then it's up to you to place your own knowledge of your own domain on top of that data and see whether what we're telling you is good or bad. Once you've determined that it's bad, then we can start helping you drilling in to find out what you need to fix. Once you have determined that, are there best practices or common threads that you can take to improve the performance of Java apps? Absolutely. It's almost a heuristic process that you can go through to isolate what's going on. Maybe you're creating a bunch of of Java objects that you don't need. Are you producing loads and loads of debug level log messages? and then not doing anything with them. That will increase application churn. And with Java, of course, it's a garbage collected language. So if you create a bunch of objects which you kind of don't do anything with just for make work, then you're going to increase pressure on on the memory. And that means you're going to have to do garbage collection more often, which is going to mean that your computer's resources are diverted away from, from application processing and actually running the transactions that make up your business to housekeeping. Nice. All right, so it's dish time. Tell us some of the anti-patterns you've seen out in the wild, things that people have done, you know, the head-slapping things. But on one occasion, before I joined New Relic, I was an independent, and I was asked to come in to a bank to have a look at some of the systems that they had, and they paid me for two weeks of consulting time. On a whim, I asked to see the source code of their application, and the, the example of producing loads of debug log messages that they basically just created and then threw away. Once we took that out, which took about 40 minutes, we could see the memory utilization of their app drop by 60%. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that was supposed to be a two-week engagement, and we, we were done by lunchtime on the first day. <laughs> Other things that I've, I've seen, when running Java 8 uh, inside a Docker container, which many people do, lots of people don't know that because... Java 8 predates a lot of the Linux kernels that, that supported Docker properly. There is actually a, a mismatch between especially earlier versions of Java 8 and the Docker uh, runtime. Mm. So what will happen is that Java will see all of the cores that are available on the box. So if you have a, a box with, let's say, uh, oh, I don't know, 128 CPUs, 128 cores in it, and let's suppose that you are restricted to a Docker container which only gives you access to four cores. If you don't explicitly tell Java to constrain its thread number, uh, especially for, let's say, garbage collection threads, then what will happen is Java will see 128 cores. When a garbage collection phase starts, obviously all the application threads stop, but it will create 128 garbage collection threads because that matches the number of cores that are on the box. Mm -hmm. The problem is is that you actually only have eight CPUs uh, allocated to you by Docker. So now what happens is you have 128 tasks that are trying to to help clean up your garbage, but there are only eight slots for them to run on. So they actually fight with each other. There's actual contention over trying to get get scheduling time on the eight cores that are actually available. Uh, Becomes a queuing nightmare. Is that what happens? Absolutely. So so context switching and thrash. So that's another good example of of an anti-pattern that we've seen. Now, of course, that would show up in in, in New Relic because we have a, a, a thread profiler. 
So we could you could actually see that, and if you clicked on, you know, a, a Docker container, if you if you hadn't set the flags properly, you would see, wow, this this Docker container only has eight CPUs, but in the in the profiler, I, I can see all these garbage collection threads. Why why did it make so many? So those kind of things can be seen from the tooling as well. Wow, Ben, this has been a great whirlwind. Thank you for your time. This has been really interesting. No, it's been it's been great. Thank you for having me. And that wraps up the Java episode of the New Relic Modern Software Podcast. Sincere thanks to Tori Wilt and Ben Evans. We're all interested in your feedback. What do you think of the current state of Java and open source? Please feel free to tell us what you think on Twitter, hashtag Modern Software Podcast, and hashtag Java. To avoid missing upcoming episodes, you can subscribe to the New Relic Modern Software Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You know, that service that used to be called iTunes. And we'd love to have you rate us there as well. I'm Frederick Paul. Thanks for listening to the New Relic Modern Software Podcast. And remember, New Relic, because if you run software, you need New Relic.